The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Welcome, I'm your host Suzanne Phillips and this is Psych Up Live. My goal and that of my guests is to go beyond the soundbite as we offer psychological perspective on life issues. Join us in the conversation, listen in and call in with questions or comments at 1-866-472-5788. Today we're going to be talking about the blended or as it's also called the step family. It may surprise you to know that close to 60% of families are blended. Now, a blended family or a step family is a family unit where one or both parents have children from previous relationships and have combined to form a new family. They may or may not also have children with each other. Anyone who's in a blended or step family knows that these families can be as complicated as they can be special. Unlike the marriage of two partners, blended families come with children, existing relationships, multiple needs, broken hearts, conflicting loyalties, and fears and expectations of being loved. Today we're going to invite you to understand blended families in a special way. You are going to hear from professional writers who will share their own insider stories as step-parents or step-children. Our guest today includes Samantha Walsh. She's the editor of the book Blended, Writers on the Step-Family Experience, and three of her contributing writers. Now, Samantha has been writing since childhood. She's a widely published author of fiction and nonfiction, including a number of books on parenting. She has three children, five stepchildren, and 12 grandchildren. I think she knows about blending. Betsy Graziani Fassbinder became a second when she married a widower with a young son, and their story in Blended is one of a collection that will be published in May 2017. She's also the author of the critically acclaimed novel Fire and Water and is a licensed psychotherapist in California. Gigi Rosenberg is a writer who has written articles and essays that have been published by Psychology Today, Parenting, Writer's Digest, Poets and Writers. She's been a guest commentator on Oregon Public Broadcasting and is the author of The Artist's Guide to Grant Writing and the editor of Professional Artist. Her current project is My Secret Father, a memoir. Emma Kate Tai is a writer, editor, editor, and prep school English teacher. Her work has been published in Brevity, Brainschild Magazine, Intellectual Refuge, as well as 
anthologies like Blended, and I love the name of this one, Drinking Diaries, Women Serve This Story Straight Up. She is currently working on a memoir about being an identical twin and the fractured relationships identical twinship can cause. Samantha, Betsy, Gigi, and Emma, it is my pleasure to welcome you today to Psych Up Live. Thank you, Thank you so much. Be here. Okay, and I know you, we're coming from all over the country. Um, Samantha, let me start with you. What prompted you to create a collection, their beautiful stories, of stories by writers who themselves had lived the step family experience? I think there were two major impetuses. One was at the time that I was teaching a lot of parenting workshops, Someone asked me to do a one for step parents, and I thought, sure, um, it would be pretty much like their same needs to understand expectations and problem solving, communication skills. When I got in there, it was really a group of people with some pretty different needs than I realized. Visitation, a bereavement, mm. a custody, whatever, lots of ways that blended families have to work. And then I myself got involved in a blended family, and I thought that there would be no issues because the kids were grown. I loved them to death immediately. Uh, One son lived with us. We both had a kid in college, but they were all grown up, and I found out that there were a lot of issues that we still faced about replacement displacement and replacement and fitting in with a group that's been there for years with a shared history when you're the new kid on the block. And there, I turned to story because I love, I learn from stories, they resonate with me. And there wasn't anything out there to help me in my marriage with my, you know, grown children and step-grandchildren. So I created Something and I'd worked with Phil Press already, and they were very open to the idea of a collection. And I had contacts, and contacts suggested contacts, so that the book fell together. And I feel like it's a very honest, um, wonderful book. The, the contributors all did gorgeous stories, and were very self revealing and I think um, can really inspire readers. Well, one of the things, even the, the, the little bits of stories you told was, it seems to me stories tell more than words. I don't have to tell all of you writers that. But I, I loved when you shared, Samantha, that, because I had heard it so many times, the your daughter, I think, and his son, or one way or the other, uh, maybe your son, his daughter, they, they decided, they were deciding which bedroom and which closet. And I think there was one that was preferable. It actually had a double closet, and it was immediately assumed, I think it was going to be his youngster who was going to get that. Yes, it was. Uh, she assumed it, and my son was like, let's flip for it. And <laughs> she was, I'm sorry, I want it. And, yeah, she got it, and that actually was, it's, I ended up very close to that daughter. I was there for the birth of her two children uh, by her side on her wedding day, but um, we had a lot of talks, a lot of effort on both our parts because she'd definitely been raised, you know, that way, and she wanted what she wanted, and 
that's a thread that you'll see that appears in some other stories. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a pretty common challenge in blended families. You want to protect your own kid. You also want the other kid to feel loved, and it, it's a huge, huge issue. Yes, it's such, it's such well said. You know, one of the things that story also said, because I think at one point you say, uh, Ray and I thought the kids would all be friends, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say that. But um, one of the things that you show, even in what you write, is there is a whole evolution that happens. There's a whole journey that people take. And you divide these 39 stories in certain categories that speaks to that journey. I wonder if you could share with our listeners what were those categories and what they meant. I would really like to do that. First, uh, by the way, the stories literally sorted themselves out on my dining room table. Okay. Um, They so naturally fell into the progression that we go through in blending a family. There was part, part one is coming together where... Literally, obviously, there's a couple, whether traditional or whether non-traditional, they fall in love, they want to be together. One of them has children, if not both. Then in part two, self-discovery, you get into these families um, and you end up learning a lot about yourself and, and what you not always pretty what you find out about yourself, but there is that whole experience of learning about yourself and each other. Then evolution is taking readers through this process. It's, you know, day in, day out. Um, Maybe it's a summer vacation and every other weekend, but whatever. There's a process over the years of forming families, and you said that very well, and that's incidentally really important, that couples looking at blending families talk a lot, and then give it time, and keep communicating, and honoring each other, and and realizing that this takes years, not like that first minute, which I kind of expected. Then acceptance, where you're like, yeah, it works. Sometimes, yeah, it doesn't work. We have... I worked really hard for a balance because sometimes the very, very best intentions aren't enough. But sometimes they are. We have, you know, Brady Bunch stories that are absolutely true here as well. And then reflections where some authors looked back on their journey and it kind of naturally tied in for me as the conclusion of the book. It's it's a one it's a wonderful gathering of stories. I'm going to go right from that to Betsy um, because your story starts with the coming together. Um, yes. Betsy Graziani Fassbender. Um, Fassbender, yes. Okay. I know it's not an easy name. Okay. Um, thank you. Um, the the name of your precious story is Who Will This Be to Me? And I wondered if you could give us a bit of the backdrop on that and then maybe read some of this beautiful story. Sure. Well, I married, uh, I it was 16 years from the time that I met my husband until our first date. He was a, a longtime family friend and, in fact, the roommate of my brother-in-law in college. And so my, sister, my older sister went to school with him. And his first wife passed away, and they had a young son. So when Tom and I were going to be married, I knew that I wasn't just marrying a man. I was marrying a family. 
And I, too, am a therapist, and, and I did what I always do when I'm facing a new element in my life. I went to the bookstore and looked for things on step, step parenting, but none of them related to me. <laughs> they, mm-hmm. they didn't really have to do with, uh, because they were all talking about the ex and shared custody and court battles and visitation, all that kind of stuff, and none of that was relevant to me. I didn't have an ex. I had a ghost. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so I started writing those stories, and that's the collection I've built. The background of this story is that just weeks before we were to be married, I was sorting through my own family photographs, kind of getting things ready for a a thing that we were going to do at the wedding. And my young son-to-be, Max, who was six and a half at the time, came up to me, and he was pointing at the faces of different people uh, in my family photographs saying, well, who will this be to me? Oh, that'll be your grandfather. Oh, that'll be your cousin. That's my brother. He'll be your uncle. That's kind of how that was going. And finally, just at the very last, he put his finger on my face and said, who will that be to me? Who will Mm -hmm. this be to me? Mm -hmm. And I kind of stopped, and I thought, well, I should have the answer to this, but I don't really know. So then he, we, I said, well, I guess I'll be your second mother. Um, You know, you had a first mom, and and she had to pass away and all of that, but I I guess I'll be your your second mother. And he, then he said, what shall I call you? And that's where this story kind of takes place. Okay, and now you're going to read a little section of that? Sure. Okay. When Max asked me what he should call me, my heart pounded. You can call me Mom or Mama. I guess you can always call him Betsy if you'd rather. Whatever feels okay to you. He stood there for a minute. I waited, and then he picked up his ball. What's for dinner? For the next few days, Max tried out a new title for me. Can we go bowling, he'd ask, and then he'd follow the question by simply mouthing the word mom. Or can we go to the store, and he mouthed the word mom again. The mom was always silent. It seemed he was trying it on, seeing how it felt in his mouth. I understood, but I felt small, and smaller still when he started calling me Betsy again. I tucked this shameful disappointment away, telling no one. Weeks later, as I drove him home from school, Max pulled a Ziploc bag full of Cheez-Its from his lunchbox. He munched away, licking the orange dust off of each finger. With his focus deep inside the near-empty bag, he said, I notice I don't call you Mom. (laughs) Oof. Who threw that rock at my chest? Dead hit. I breathed to calm my voice. I noticed that, I said. One last cracker and then four fingers to lick. When I say Betsy, I mean Mom. I swallowed past the dry dirt clod that formed in my throat. Thanks, I said. That's nice to know. He looked out the window. Moms die, you know. I think maybe it's safer if you're just Betsy. Mm. Thanks, Bud. I appreciate you telling me that. Those big chocolate eyes found mine, and I waited. Hey, Betsy. Yeah, I said, delighted with the new sound of my old name. What's for dinner, he asked. And that's where the story ends. It is such a precious story and such a a beautiful scene. He sounds adorable and you sound just (laughs) so, so attuned to him, Betsy. Well, I think that's, I think that's the, the task of the stepping in. I always think of step parents as the one stepping in. Yes, nice. (laughs) You know, and, and so the, I think it's the incumbent upon the person stepping in to try to tune in and meet the kid where he is 
rather than trying to force the situation into something that we expect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess that's true whether it's a divorce or a death or any of those kinds of circumstances. Was there anything else as a mother stepping in in a new role that you found with this little boy and in the balance between the little boy and the new marriage that struck you as as a self-discovery or something that you would pass on? Yeah, you know, I felt like it was really, because my son lost his first mother so young, I mean, he was five, just turned five when she passed, I felt it was my responsibility to hold her, the memories of her. Now, I had the advantage that I knew her because mm. I had known Tom for so long. But I felt, and, and maybe this, is, this falls into male-female category a little bit, my husband isn't going to sit and kind of chat through a lot of things with him. He's a great dad, but he's, he's a dude. He's a guy. He doesn't kind of talk through that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I felt like it was really incumbent upon me to sustain and, and maintain the memory of his first mother and never to try to replace her, mm-hmm. but to mm-hmm. have her sort of coexist with us. So even sorting her belongings and giving, giving her belongings to him each time is, is, is of age appropriate. He's 30, 32 now. <laughs> so, you know, at different ages, I've needed to give him different belongings of his mother's, and I set them mm. aside and saved them for him. You know, when he graduated school, when he got his first home, I have a little package for if he chooses to have children. Mm. The things that his mother would have done. That's so terrific. And I, I think that might be unique to a grief situation as different than a, than a blended family after divorce. Mm. Well, when you make room for the original parent, there's usually more room for the step parent. Um, I completely agree. Yeah. I, you know, I never, never wanted to be her competitor or her replacement. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to. I thought of it sort of as a relay race, where she was forced to pass the baton sooner than she would have wanted to, but that it was my job to to finish the race. Well, she passed it into good hands. We're going to take a brief break. Thank you so much. You've been listening you. to Psych Up Five, and today we're speaking with Samantha Walsh. She's the editor of a beautiful anthology, Blended, Writers on the Step Family Experience. We're here with three of her writers, Betsy Graziana Fassbinder, Gigi Rosenberg, and Emma Tate, Emma Kate Ty. Stay with us. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on voiceamerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Where are you getting your advice on buying, selling, or maintaining your most important asset, your home? Is it from a reality show on cable TV, a comparison website, or are you just flying by the seat of your pants and gut instinct? Stop now before you make another move. Tune into Real Real Estate Today with host and realtor Deb Tomorrow. You can't afford to play guesswork when it comes to your new or existing home. Listen every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. You count. Tune into Inner Revolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Inner Revolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're talking today about blended and step families. And we're here with Samantha Walls, who's the editor of the book Blended and Her Writers. Um, Gigi Rosenberg, um, you wrote a, a very a moving story in, in the anthology, My Secret Father. To me, you really touch on the competing loyalty of children of divorce who sometimes are put in the position of feeling like double agents. Uh, Gigi, I wonder if you could share some of that experience and then maybe read a piece. Sure. Um, so my parents divorced when I was one, and my mother remarried when I was three. And from her point of view, she just felt like, you know, wrong turn, bad marriage, let's get out of it, you know, um, with no idea that um, you can't just have a baby who has a father and just, you know, cross the father out of that baby's life. Mm. So um, from her point of view, it would have been fine if I just, you know, carried on and kind of made my new stepfather my father. And, you know, you have to remember that this was the late 50s, early 60s. Um, I I was born in Manhattan, but then when I was five, we moved to Queens. And, like, nobody had divorced parents. And everybody had the same last name as their parents. (laughs) So um, it was very, very difficult to have these uh, competing loyalties. My father insisted I visit him, which at the time I felt, was a horrible burden. I didn't want to tell my friends about him, so it just created so many conundrums and um, stress and tension that, you know, as a little one without support, you come up with these, you know, your own ways of of, um, dealing with things that are often, as as you therapists know, you know, you need to then figure out and unwind uh, when you get older. Right. It's, you know, we live forward and, and figure it out backwards. Right. Um, um, so, Gigi, I thought you were a very clever little one, though, because I think you said folks asked you or kids asked you, you know, what 
why is your name different? Why do you call him Marvin? I think, right. and not Dad. And what was your you had you came up with something, right? Yeah, I actually that's part of the passage that I'm going to read. Um, you know, like at school, the first day that the kids noticed that when they read the roll call, my name was different than my mother's last name. You know, they asked me, and I, just at the moment, I said, oh, they made a mistake. They read my middle name as my last name. You know, I'll, I'll tell them to change it, you know. Um, so that day I went home and said to my mother, I said, I don't want a different last name than you. And also by that time, she had, and my stepfather, Marvin, had had two more kids. So everybody was a Rosenberg except me. Mm-hmm. And so my mother said, okay, I'm just going to call the school and tell them to change the records. And that's what she did. And you know, I'm sure they wouldn't do that now at the school, but they, <laughs> the next day I was Rosenberg and it was fixed, except nobody told my father. You so, know, it's, it's so hard for, I think, people at times, us as adults, to appreciate the world that a little child or even a young teen is negotiating when families are being blended because they have an allegiance to a parent what is said about that parent reverberates on them. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people, this is even my own experience, are being told later at the time of the divorce that what you thought was wonderful about your childhood, it really wasn't full, wonderful at all. And you mm-hmm. thought he was such and such, well, he wasn't. <laughs> and so it's very, very hard to make sense of that. And, I mean, you do share, and I would love you to read the piece about visitation because I think um, it's something a lot of people can relate to. Can you read that piece for us? Sure. Most Sundays, most Sundays after the divorce, my father rode the Long Island Railroad from Penn Station to Little Neck. I waited on the platform with my mother and a stomach ache. My father snatched my hand as if rescuing me from an evil witch, and my mother snapped, she needs a new winter coat, as if this was the least he could do. Mm. At my father's house, I drank black cows made from Coca-Cola and milk. Soda was forbidden at my mother's house. My father took me to the zoo. We rode the Central Park carousel, and he always bought me Cracker Jack because I liked the prize. At my mother's house, we lied to everyone, saying that my stepfather, Marvin, was my father. But I didn't call him Dad. I called him Marvin. When my sister and brother were born to my mother and Marvin, they didn't call him Dad either. (laughs) Why do you call your dad Marvin, family friends asked us. Because that's his name, I answered, and nobody questioned us further. Close family friends knew that Marvin wasn't my real father, but we never talked about it. Keep your father's secret was the code I live by. No, it's such a it's such a powerful piece uh, to keep that father's secret. But maybe you could share with our listeners. Actually, you go very public with him at the end. Maybe you can fill us in on what happens. Sure. So, um, you know. Over the years, there were times of seeing him, you know, weekly when I was younger, and then we moved to Boston, and he stayed in New York, so there was less time, and it was sort of back and forth, and, you know, my mother told me at one point, you know, just think of it as if he, you, I was artificially inseminated, and let's just call it good. And I was like, I was like 14 when she said that, and I was like, wow. Anyway, um, but, you know, then he did come to my wedding, and when I had a daughter of my own, um, you know, he, he, hate, he hated to fly, but he flew out to Oregon, wow. where I live now, you know. And um, so anyway, at the end, after my mother died, um, and I, it wasn't because I didn't have to do this after she died, but, you know, when your parents die, you start to realize that, you know, nobody lasts forever, and you better do things you want to do. 
Mm-hmm. And I was in New York, and it was his 88th birthday, and I said, we're going to get our photo taken. And he was, yeah, there was a part of him that thought, well, let's just get, you know, take out your camera and do it. And I hired a, you know, professional photographer, and mm-hmm. she took us to Central Park, and we sat, you know, which is where we had spent a lot of our secret visits when I was right. little. And we sat in a bench, and it was like we fell into this timeless time. I mean, you know, in New York City, I don't remember people. I don't remember taxi cabs. I don't remember anything except this time of us with the photographer um, posing for, I wanted a formal black and white portrait that I could frame and put on my wall and say, this is my father, you know, and Mm -hmm. this is me with my father. So that's Mm -hmm. what I, I, that's how this particular story ends. It's beautifully done. And Gigi, I got the feeling he loved taking the picture. He wanted that too. You know, in the end, he did. I made him a book of all the photos we took that day. He was so happy to have it. And I forgot, you know how some people don't do well with a photographer? He was the kind of guy that once the photographer came, it was almost like we both just completely relaxed. It was Mm. very interesting. Um, We were both just there in this very, very special, quiet, um, very present time together. Well, from having to have this secret father, as I said, all of a sudden it became a very public daughter and father. (laughs) And you didn't even care who was looking or who was um, uh, going to take note of it. You were going to make it last forever with those photos. Exactly. It's a a beautiful story, and it has so much in it. Uh, Thank you, Gigi. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay. Emma Kate Tai, you have a very moving, and you really offer us a glimpse of a child caught not only between different families, but between different cultures. Your story, Half American to Half Chinese, Translation Through Marriage, is a very powerful one. I wonder if you'd speak a little bit about your your experience. Uh, sure. So I'm half Chinese. My dad is from China, and my mother is from Tennessee. And they divorced when I was two. And I guess, you know, even though, I, let's see, this was happening in the 80s that when my, when my dad started dating someone else, but I just, no one I knew had divorced parents. It was now much more common. But I remember being in elementary school, and we were the only kids of divorced parents, and it just never occurred to me that my parents would ever date again. <laughs> <laughs> and now it seems a little silly, like, of course, they should date again. They should find love again. But at the time, I just thought, like, my dad was alone. My mom was alone. My mom went out a lot more than my dad. And I never thought my dad would ever date. So this essay is just about the experience of finding out that he was not only dating someone, but also going through, just having gone through the process of, of them getting closer, her moving in, of them eventually getting married, and what that was like. And the, the kind of the added twist to the story is that she was Chinese, so it began to feel like Chinese was better than American to my dad, and maybe mm-hmm. I would lose him to this Chinese woman who he had more in common with. That's how it felt, mm-hmm. anyway. You know, it's so... I, can, I have heard so much about children, no matter what age, am I being shocked? How could the dad or mom be looking at someone else, not even so much in that we know they've left mom or dad, but replace me as a love object, replace me as the child? I wonder if you could read um, a piece from your story. Um, I think 
there's a piece in which you first find out dad is even, not as you say, not only considering dating, but maybe marry someone. Right. Okay, sure. I'd be glad to. Uh, here we go. If I married this woman, my father answered, she'd be your stepmother. School was over for the day. I was in the fifth grade, and it was my turn to sit up front. I had asked my father the definition of in-law and step-family after a class discussion about relationship terms. It was then that he pulled the photograph out of his wallet to show me what stepmother would mean for me. If he married her, who was she? What was her name? Did my father have a girlfriend? Did they hold hands? How old was she? Had he taken the picture himself or had she given it to him? I stared straight ahead and didn't ask a word. Addie and Elliot whispered to each other in the back seat. As I shifted against the sticky plastic upholstery, I wished I were them with them, further away from the beautiful stranger now pocketed. So when you think back, it's just such a moving piece. When you think back, what do you think what children are most afraid of when they hear this? Uh, I think I think you're right. It feels, I think especially if you live a life where your parents have never been together, that you remember, that you really do feel like you're going to lose them. And in some way I did. You know, like he was holding our hands walking through the parking lot and he was taking us places and he was checking on us. And when he remarried, that, that she became that person that he held hands with and checked on. I mean, he still cared about us and he still made sure we were fed and everything, but I think he he then had someone else whose emotional needs were important to him. Um, mm. And because I had never had to share him, I didn't appreciate, you know, that was a perfectly reasonable thing for him to do. I mean, he's a human being, too. Mm. But, you know, at the time it felt, having never had to share him, at the time it did feel like losing him to some degree mm. and, and to this other person. Who didn't? Who felt like a stranger to me? Not just because she was new to the family, but because she was not the same ethnicity as I was. So it mm-hmm. felt like that was better for some reason. Yeah. So it, it feels like somehow a, a, a kind of slight in some way. Now the interesting yeah. part of your story is it has a sort of unexpected ending with respect right. to this new mother. Maybe you can share that. Oh, sure. So my mother, my biological mother, uh, she was, she sort of abandoned us over and over again. And she was kind of always out there for the party and other friends. And she would often, they had joint custody, but she would often say to my dad, you take them for a year or something like that. And my stepmother became more of a mother to me. Actually, she is what defined the mother for me because my mother was, was not the definition of a word, a mother. She she would be around. She would take us places occasionally, but she was often not not around. Whereas, you know, as my stepmother did all of those things for us that she would do for her own children that any mother would do. I mean, she's, just, she's been there for me ever since they met, basically. She's been there for me in every way. Um, mm-hmm. And she, you know, she and she was there every day. She did our, you know, she did her hair. She did her breakfast. She made our lunches. She picked us up from school before she got a... A, you know, a different kind of job. She was a realtor at one time, so she would pick us up from school. She would make us snacks. She would do all those kinds of things that my mother never did. And, mm. you know, I feel very, very thankful that my dad met her and married her. She's one of the best things that ever happened to me. Let, let me ask you, did you feel because she was really such a mother that that somehow softened the cultural differences and changed your perspective on her being Chinese and not 
like you and not like your own mom? I think so. I think at first it was frightening to me. Also, my dad, he didn't want to teach us Chinese. I think if I'd spoken Chinese, I might have felt a little bit differently, but it's like almost like you know, a person from another country coming into your home. Like, you don't even speak the same language as they do, even though she could speak mm. very good English. But, um, but I think I learned from her because, you know, mother is the same in any place, in any mm-hmm. culture, in any language. It's the same. And, and she showed me that that was the same in the way that she cared about us and loved us, even though we weren't her kids. I mean, she, I absolutely feel like she treats us like one of her own and has, always has, mm-hmm. and has always cared about us in that way. And so I feel that I then, then I was like, then it doesn't really matter. I mean, she could be you know, Norwegian, and it wouldn't matter, because what matters is that she loves my dad, and that she loved us, and that she, she truly took her, you know, her role as a part of our family seriously, and, you know, with her whole heart, and that's all that really matters. Mm. One, one of the messages that you seem to be implying is that if you give it time and stay open to the people, whether you're the parent with the child, um, or the child with the parent, it's possible that really very special, unexpected parenting and child-type experiences can happen. Formal, families really do evolve, as Samantha sort of you know, says in, in her headings. They really do. Yeah, I believe that's true. Absolutely. Um, do you think that your siblings uh, felt as you do, Emma, about this whole move, this translation through marriage? I I don't know if my brother, you know, boys are a little, <laughs> I feel like boys are a little different with things. Like, I'm not even sure if he was aware of what was going on half the time, but he, but yes, I believe all three of us, I mean, you know, I refer to my dad and my stepmother as my parents because that's basically where they've been together. They have been a parental unit for me. And I know my step, my, my sister has reached out to my stepmother before she has reached out to my dad or my mom about, you know, things that are going on with her. Mm. So we all we all saw that in her. She has just been a rock for us. I mean, she's never, never not been there. You know? Wow. So, I mean, a real gift, really is. It's, it's a wonderful story. Thank you so much. We're going to have to take a brief break. We've been speaking with Samantha Walsh. She's the editor of Blended Writers on the Step Family Experience. We're here with her writers. We just heard from Emma Kate Tai. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river. Like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. 
Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back. We're speaking about blended and step families, and we've been speaking with Samantha Walsh, Betsy Graziani-Fassbinder, Gigi Rosenberg, and Emma Kate Tai. These are our writers. Samantha's not only a writer, she's the editor of the book Blended. So, ladies, I think one of the things that our listeners would want to know is how they can, A, get this book, and then how could they actually find the novels, the pieces, the other anthologies that you've um, published in. Samantha, how would someone get to this book or any of your books? This book is put out by Seal Press, and so it's available in any bookstore or and on Amazon. And um, if it's not on the shelves, then they'll be happy to order it for you. And what we would love, of course, <laughs> we feel like the book is really valuable. And so either, again, Amazon or any bookstore, it's widely distributed. Mm. It, the book is really beyond what any simple um, how-to self-help book, because as you heard today, you're going to hear from people who have not only lived it, but they're writers who are uh, word sculpture people. <laughs> they're just, it's I'd beautiful. really like to underscore that um, because it's not a how-to book. And I did a, you know, always searching the market. It is life experiences, and I think people then can find something that would work for them because every family is so unique. I almost feel like to give all these very different families the same 10 rules to follow is not respecting how individual the challenges are and mm-hmm. the issues and the joys and the sorrows. Mm. And when you read, as we heard the, the, the writers t- today, they touch a chord that there's no words for those feelings, but you know that someone's walked in the shoes that you're in, so I would strongly advise you. You will love the book. Um, Betsy, how about you? Yeah. How would people find you and what you've well, written? Well, I mean, of course, you can. Um, the name of my novel is Fire and Water with an ampersand in the middle instead of the word and, 
and you can find that. It's published by She Writes Press. You can either go on to She Writes Press website or on Amazon, or you can ask your local independent bookstore to order it, which would be grand. But it, the other thing is that, um, Samantha, you haven't mentioned, but, but Blended has a Facebook page as well, so that's a good way to, to, to find most any of our authors, the contributors to this story. Their uh, Facebook pages and author pages and those things can be found through there. So if someone were to read Blended and read one of the stories they've heard today or some of the others from the other authors, they can find us that way as well. And it's the name of the book, um, Betsy, the Facebook page? Uh, Samantha, you'd know better than I, but... Yeah, if you just go on Facebook and um, the, not the URL, but the actual Facebook, and you just write in Blended, Mm -hmm. Writers on the Step Family Experience, it will take you to Blended's page. Perfect. Okay. And then my, um, there's also information on my website, pathsofthought.com, or you can also get to my website with my name. The, the fancy name is pavsofthought.com, but yeah, Facebook and, it, and everything on Facebook has gone on to Twitter. Good. Um, so, there you go. Okay. How about you, Gigi? How would, um, how would folks find more of what you've written? Um, so, I have a website, which is just ggrosenberg.com, so G-I-G-I-R-O-S-E-N-B-E-R-G. And I have a page of um, other essays that I've written and also a page if you just want to sign up and I'll send you an invite when the memoir, My Secret Father, comes out. Nice. Very nice. The same is true for me as well. That this is Betsy. Okay, good. Great. Uh, how about you, Emma? How can folks find you and eventually read about what you've written, written or you're planning? Okay, sure. I have a website at AnnaKateSpray.com, and that's E-M-M-A-K-A-T-E-T-S-A-I.com, and I'm also on all the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at that same name. We'll try the easiest way. Okay. All right, there. I've gone on all their sites. It's worth going, folks. Um, let me ask you, as a group of writers who've all experienced this, if you could share with our listeners just a brief take-home message. You've lived it. You've written about it. Um, Samantha, what would you share? I would say that what you, you the reader, what you are doing is really important and to just value yourself and your efforts, however it's working out, to be true to the belief and as open-hearted and openly communicating as possible. Mm-hmm. And again, to um, just applaud the people that are adding this extra effort in the world. Okay. How about you, Betsy? Well, I'm going to tie into something that Emma Kate said a little bit ago about feeling toward her stepmother that she's her mother. Um, I adopted my older son and became his mother, and yet, and then we had a subsequent child, my husband and I, together. And I had this little fear, and I think people kept saying things like, oh, you'll feel different when you have a child of your own. You'll feel so differently. And I think I had a fear that I was going to feel differently toward my Mm -hmm. biological child than I was my adopted one, and I didn't. That, Mm -hmm. that, both of these children, you know, one of the children grew in my body, but both of them grew in my heart. Mm. And it made, it truly made no difference. I have two sons. We, we don't even use the term step and half and 
mm-hmm. all of those kinds of things in our family. They just don't seem so relevant. So mm-hmm. that's not the case in every family, but it's really possible. Nice. And it's something that if you're really open-hearted and you meet the child where he is instead of trying to force yourself into what you expect, I think that's it's much more possible. So if you let them call you by your first name, if that's what they need, <laughs> that works. Mm-hmm. Huh? Exactly. You know, yeah. it, it's, sort of, it's about getting your ego out of the way. You know, my yes. ego wanted me, him to call me mommy. I, I did want yeah. that. And I felt a little embarrassed admitting it. But when he told me why he wasn't calling mm. me mom... I thought, how can I be angry at that, for Pete's sake? And to this day, he calls me Betsy, and my younger son calls me Mama, and, but they referred to me as, my mom did this, my mom did that. They both refer to me as mother, but don't call me the same way. And it, doesn't, and it makes zero difference. So the things that we get hung up on are sometimes just these little trip hazards that happen along the way when the big picture of really being connected, really being, meeting each other where they are and sharing, sharing each love with, between, between all parties is what's really important. Nice, really can, nice. Can I just toss something in quick? Because Very quick. we only okay. were able to cover three stories. There are some, they aren't all in the book, I, but some are. There are parents who just do what Betsy recommended, and they're wonderful, but especially if the child's older. Some children are so sad. They never see who walked in the door. They just see what they expected and what they felt, and some parents have loved their kids to death and and haven't been able to reach them because of all the reasons that a child shuts their heart down. Um, so I just want to, yes, I guess, true. reach out to the parents also, who are trying so hard, and it's um, what Betsy said is possible, but sometimes their very best effort is just to know that they're doing their very best, and it's not Some them. families blend better than others, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very well said, and it, it's, it's because you've got to somehow keep yourself going, you know, when uh, you're handing someone a gift and they're not opening it. So... Uh, but as you say, children come with their own baggage, and it's never their fault. How about you, thanks, Samantha? Gigi, what would you want to share as a quick take-home message? You know, I think I'll just build on something Betsy said, because, you know, in her story, she was, the, she was the parent, and in my story, I was the child. Yes. And, um, you know, just the thing about not forcing, this is sort of really a message for parents, um, not force, trying to force something to happen and also, you know, I mean, this is just like a life lesson is to really be discerning about is my ego getting in the way and is there something I'm just so set on wanting that is all about um, my ego and not really about what's the best for everyone involved. But, you know, um, it's sort of like whatever applies to being honest and authentic in your life really, really applies to this situation. And the child... You know, especially the only child who, between two parents who don't, aren't together anymore, it's, a, it's, it's, you know, it's sad and it's um, honoring that child's experience is so important. Mm, very well said. Emma, how about you? Uh, so I think I would kind of reiterate what we talked about earlier about being open and also just that, you know, family can be defined a number of ways and to not be set on one definition of family and then... You know, something surprising can happen. Mm. Okay. 
It sounds it sounds so good. I want to thank each of you, Samantha Walsh, Betsy Graziani Fassbinder, Gigi Rosenberg, and Matej Tai. Your stories are beautiful. Your message about step parenting is something that the way it unfolds in stories is pretty moving and very, very important. So I want to thank all of you for the effort to call in and be on our show today. Thank that was you. a pleasure. Thank, thank you. You're welcome for sharing the book. Thanks so much. Um, now, I want to thank our listeners, and remember, any prior show as well as this show by this evening will be a podcast, which can be heard on my host site, on the Voice America podcast site, on the podcast app of your iPhone, on iTunes, under Psych Up Live. Please don't miss it. Next week, M.G. Newman, Oprah's favorite therapist, will be back on Psych Up Live, and he'll be discussing saving the marriage after the affair. Drop me a comment or question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Until next week, please take care. Mostly, thank you very much and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. It's staff and management.